Hi, I'm Sam. I'm Rob. And I'm Joe. Welcome to Athenaeum, a podcast about writing, literature, and the culture that feeds them. Today's is going to be a little bit different. Uh, we're actually talking about books to TV show, which is different from a film. And I think what we're going to start with is actually just talking about the benefits and kind of downsides of consuming a novel in TV ver- form. I think in most ways it, it tends to be better than a movie. You get to go into a lot more detail and I think a mm-hmm. TV show has a better chance of translating very well. Um, yeah, I'd have to agree. Like, I think you can, whenever you think about like, ah, oh, I hated the movie version of The Martian or whatever it is and you're going from like book to movie, it's usually because they had to cut things out. Mm-hmm. That's when you don't cut things out. That's when you end up with like the extended edition of Lord of the Rings, right? Mm-hmm. And it ends up being an entire like nine hours, and it should have been a TV series at that point. Yes. I think the thing we have to be super thoughtful about whenever you're seeing these like books to TV series, and I think we talked about it a little bit with like A Handmaid's Tale, and it happens with a couple of other series. I think we'll talk about is the fact of when the mo- or the TV show progresses faster in terms of like production than the actual books do and so it kind of like goes off script to like a level right there's air quotes around that and what you might think is supposed to happen doesn't necessarily happen from a book perspective or a tv show perspective because they're being made on separate timelines does that make sense yeah or like there's not going to be any more books like orange is the new black is a good example like this was just a nonfiction account of a woman's experience in prison. And then everything kind of went crazy after like the second season. And I, they went for like many, many more years. Well, and when you're talking about diverging from the book, especially when it started with orange, like with orange is the new black where it started, I think I haven't watched that one. So Joe, please correct me. I think it started pretty close to the book, right? The first season. Yeah. Or I think like, so Game of Thrones, Handmaid's Tale, all of those were very, you know, it, we're going to take the time. Again, taking that mentality of we don't have to squeeze this into 90 minutes or 120 minutes. So we're going to kind of flesh out these characters a little more, dive into these stories, rearrange the plot line to really line up with what makes sense from a visual medium. But at some point, you keep getting funding and people keep still really mm-hmm. liking Orange is the New Black, but like, Piper Kerman, Orange is the New Black is really interesting because it's nonfiction. It's her personal account of her going to prison. So she doesn't have necessarily all of this drama Mm -hmm. because eventually she got out of prison and wrote this book and now she's a producer on a TV series. And that feels like it would get really meta really fast. Yeah. Um, Well, and and so they had to come up with new stuff. And that's a a good point to make because with Game of Thrones, right, the first season was very, very close to the first book. And they ran into a similar issue in that they got ahead of the books. And the the problem that they ran into, in my opinion... uh, Rob, did you read Game of Thrones? No? Yes, I did. Ah, Yes. Did you watch Game of Thrones? Yes, I did. Yeah, so you you don't want to... Wait, so is the TV show as sexy as the... Or is the book as sexy as the TV show? 
There is actually yeah. I say, a, a good amount of sex, but it's you know it's it's different when you're reading it versus mm-hmm. when you're watching it. Yeah, it is both because it's just in your mind. It has the potential to seem like even more erotic because you know you've got to fill in those gaps. But it's also less. It's less you know, explicit. I think most people, yeah, most people consider it to be like less explicit because mm-hmm. it's not forced on you Mm -hmm. by just being on the tv as you're watching it well and i think too in the book um those scenes generally it's there's some level of like information being passed on or or something along those lines where yeah you can't cut those out of the book without messing with the plot line um yeah but what happened you even oh sorry go ahead no go go rub I was going to say, you even look at somebody like um, Daenerys, where, yeah, I mean, I hesitate to say this. Maybe this is a hot take. But uh, for her, like, having that consensual, like, willing uh, sex was kind of a turning point in Mm -hmm. her character. Yeah. Because she was no longer, like, an object to be traded. She was kind of making lemonade out of lemons in only real way that she could mm-hmm. and it worked out pretty darn good for her <laughs> but what game of thrones did so they started out quite close to the book and then um i think partially due to the fact that they were trying to stick i think they were trying to stick to a book a season which was actually maybe the downfall for this they had to drop a lot of the side plots there are more side plots y'all in the books <laughs> Oh, yeah. the team. Someone who has not read or watched Game of Thrones, I don't know if you guys are selling it for me right now. <laughs> I, <laughs> they're I mean, just so large of a series, you, and, like physically in terms of books, and like such a big time commitment. True. The, the only real way it could be sold, like beyond whatever you've seen or heard already, is just to say that if you are even vaguely interested in it you will probably find something in there that you like and for the most part like you really can skim a good deal of it the the plot lines that you're not interested in mm-hmm. a lot of them don't necessarily come into other people's plot lines until yep. much later yeah and of course by then george R. R. martin is going to be like hey we need characters to talk about this thing that rob stark did in mm-hmm. two books ago because nobody's gonna remember (laughs) yeah i i think too the thing with game of thrones is you know if you will like it after the first episode of the first season um and for anyone who hasn't watched it including joe if you end up getting hooked on it and you get to the last season stop with the uh battle of the north go no for further go no further no further (laughs) That was so good. I was just, one of the holdouts, man. It took me till the third episode of the last season to be like, you know what? This isn't good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There, it, isn't that a fight like on the second episode or something? I think. Um. Yeah. 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 When they're at Winterfell. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, the third the third fight where the Night King like showed up and it was just like. Yeah. Nothing about this is like, it has all the cinematography. Like it oh, looks yeah. like it should be great. But it's just not. <laughs> it, but the first five seasons, oh my goodness. 
the intrigue, the inciting, the um, girl power that happens. <laughs> it's it's really good. I I enjoy it. But you'll know if you will know with the first episode if you want to keep watching it or not. Which for a lot of longer series like that, you. I think it's a, a testimony to the TV show as well as the book it's based off that that's true. The other series that is based off a book series, Dexter, which is based off of... I gotta double check what that... Um, what that book series is called. Because the book series, Darkly Dreaming Dexter by Jeff Lindsay, uh, is a s- series that's in the same vein that... If you watch the first episode of the first season and you're intrigued, you're good for the rest of the series. If you don't like it at the first episode, you're not going to like the rest of the TV series. But Darkly Dreaming Dexter, what they did with that one and how they incorporated book aspects into the TV show. So the book, a lot of the book is Dexter's inner monologue and Dexter's personal experiences. And so what they did for the TV show is they actually brought those inner monologues into play so that you hear him talking as he's experiencing these things, talking in his head, and you're you're hearing what he's experiencing and also witnessing the uh, sociopath in play and the fact that nothing is being transmitted to his face. Uh, which works really well for that show and the book. If you like... Uh, I don't know if... I, yeah, I guess thrillers or the, the psychopath, right? Dexter is a psychopath. It's, it's murdery, right? Yeah, it's, it's super it's murdery. Big, super. big murdery... Yeah, theory. it's about a murderer. The killer is the protagonist. <laughs> well, yeah, because well, because he's killing. So, have you guys seen or know anything about Dexter? Absolutely not. I've Wait, lived under a, doctor, a rock right? for the last he, fifteen years. <laughs> he's a uh, criminal. He comes in and does like the blood splatter and that kind of stuff. Oh, a forensic analyst. Yes, that is what he is, and. But his truth, his truth, is he's a sociopath, and he has um, an incessant desire to kill. But he was trained to trained to only kill other killers, other bad guys. Uh, And it it makes it really interesting, because he's still doing these horrible things, and he knows he's doing horrible things, but it talks about how he just can't resist and so he has to use these coping techniques to get him through and the only way that he can uh, I don't deal deal with his existence is to be able to kill at least bad guys people who have harmed others people who are murderers in and of themselves people who are harming his friends and family um and it's, it's one that, you know, I think most people would probably prefer to consume as a visual media. The, on, the benefit for me for the novel over the TV series would be if you really don't like blood 
and seeing it, the book's going to be a lot easier to consume. A lot. <laughs> There's a lot of blood in that TV series. Uh, Have you seen uh, it recently, Sam? Like, has it aged well? Because it came out in, like, the mid-2000s. I, yes, and I think that they're coming out with, like, a um, post-series, like, special episodes or something. So I haven't seen those. But I finished watching that series three or four years ago, and then I have rewatched it. And it aged very well. The cinematography was quite top-notch. And honestly, watching back, it feels like a new Netflix series. Wow. Yeah. It, I, I think part of it is the actors they chose. The other half is how they handled telling that story, which they didn't do it in... So with, with Game of Thrones, one of the problems that some people can have is because there's so much royal intrigue. Dexter balances the action and like giving you the his his history in in bite sizes so that you can easily consume it while other things are going on. So, uh, speaking of Netflix series, the other story that was turned into a, a mini series that was handled really well was the haunting of hill house by shirley jackson mm, yeah oh i i loved watching that and actually watching it made me go and read it uh rob have you seen the haunting of hill house i have not nor have i read it <laughs> I, I really like it. It's each episode is its own story that is then interconnected to the rest of the stories. And so it's all in the same universe? Mm -hmm. Yep. It's all the same family. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's not like um, Love, Death, and Robots nope. where it's like all kind of together but all still very different. Nope, nope. It's all... Wait, wait. wait. Hmm? Is, this a, is this a show that was... It's like about a coven of witches... But no. Every season is like a new reincarnation of them. No, I don't know what that one is. I haven't heard of that. That sounds good, though. It does. Up with it, we could write that. <laughs> yeah, I'll have to look it up. It's actually a really interesting premise. Yeah. And yeah, I I did see a couple episodes of it. I liked it. I have to figure out what the name is. Yes. Yes. But what they do is um, The Haunting of Hill House very much has uh, Edgar Allan Poe vibes and that style of horror story. And so they take that feeling and they really put you into that setting and mood with the lighting choices and the way in which they communicate what's going on if you watch it, you really need to pay attention to what's going on in the background as well. I have not read the book fully. I've, I've read bits of it. But it, what I have read in some ways, the visual aspect of the TV series lends itself better to the mystery. 
because if you're not paying attention, you won't pick up on certain clues and you won't realize who some of these characters are. Because um, the Haunting of Hill House picks up with a family. I have to make sure I don't get this mixed up with... They, they did another series with the same cast. But I, I believe Haunting of Hill House picks up with a family with four children, two parents, as adults. Their mother was... Had, had died previously. And the father had kind of gone crazy. And I believe lost custody of his children after their mother had passed away. They had moved into this house. His parents, one parent was an architect and the other was a um, interior designer, if I remember correctly. So they moved into this huge mansion and they were remodeling it and all these weird things kept happening. And you find out that there have been odd things happening at this house for centuries. And it's about the family and you go back and forth between when the children are kids and when they're adults. And... It's really good, really interesting, plays with timelines a lot. And I think that's the other thing that makes The Haunting of Hill House and, and just that style of books where they pop between different timelines. Um, it's really popular with like World War II um, historical novels. And I think just in general historical novels to go between at least two timelines, if not three. And in a book, that can be really hard to catch when it changes, unless they're very explicit about it. Whereas in a TV show, one, you get the time to actually flesh out all of those timelines and, and what's going on. But two, visually, it's easy to pick up usually. You know, sometimes they'll do weird things, but usually based on what clothing everyone's wearing or what house they're in or, you know, Visually, it's easy to see what timeline you're in. Yeah. And that happened with uh, the man in the high castle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They, were, they were not just in different timelines, as I understand it, but like different realities. Did either you read that book? Mm-mm. <laughs> no. Yeah. I'm so intrigued. Just adding to my like yeah, list. I kind of want to read the book, and I'm hoping that it plays out better than <laughs> the show. I, I got about, I think, halfway through the second season before I couldn't watch the show anymore. It was too, I don't know, it contrived. It was, it didn't feel uh, very, very well, believable. I'm, I'm pretty sure there's only one, I think it's only based on one book, so I wonder if it suffered from the, it's so popular, we must make more! <laughs> Without really... Yeah, I think that's like the biggest downfall in like any TV show mm-hmm. creation based off of a book is like, they kind of get ahead of themselves. Mm-hmm. Like, like, well, it's already so popular. Let's just keep doing it. Mm-hmm. Well, they don't go off the series that have, you know, 18 books or 40 books. I mean, you could easily make a TV series with Discworld and it'd be on probably for 40 years and you still might not get through <laughs> all of the books. Um, they go more for the those that are really, really popular and also seem to have, you know fewer books one book three book four Mm -hmm. books 
and I'm but, sure it's easier to sell, right? Yeah, that's what I was thinking. It's probably easier to pitch those books. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh yeah, we can make a show out of this real easy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Will it be a good show? Who knows? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it. But that's like, uh, they're they're actually starting to do that now. I'm sure you, you both have heard about the Lord of the Rings show that's coming mm-hmm. out. Well, actually, it's kind of the reverse because all of that's just based off of the Silmarillion. But um, as well as The Witcher mm-hmm. has yeah. five books in the series. Um, the first season was, it wasn't even like all, like the, it wasn't necessarily no. the first book. It was like the it, first It, it was the prequel, wasn't it? Really? It was mostly like the, the prequel that he came out with? Yeah, it was, um, well, it's The Last Wish, mm-hmm. yeah. And it's not, like everything that was in the show isn't necessarily in the books and everything that was in the book isn't in the show. Mm-hmm. So it's really more like they're, it's, it's a lot more of a television adaptation well, as it is like a, a recreation. Well, and I, I almost wonder in that case, because so you had the Witcher book series by, Oh, can't remember his last name right now. It starts with an S. Yes. He's from your culture, Sam. Yeah, he, <laughs> you have him, or you have that, that book series that then spawned the video games, and I kind of keep wondering with the TV series if it's not half the books, half the video games trying to be the middle ground for those two a little bit more. Uh, in fact, wow. they're coming out with an animated prequel, actually, to the TV series. Yeah. it was it was like i don't know if i had ever heard or seen or encountered it before actually like the second game came out and then i tried to play the second game and couldn't get into it and then the third game came out and Mm -hmm. i was hooked i was hooked heavy i hadn't been that hooked in the series till like since harry potter so I read all of the books, and when the show came out, I watched it. And of course, like everybody who read the books and played the games, I was, oh, Henry Cavill's great, but he doesn't look like Geralt. You know, I had mm. my complaints. Mm. And mm. I disagree. I, <laughs> I think he's better. <laughs> uh, Henry, hey, Henry Cavill, he's got a lot going for him. I'll say that. But you know, I had just been seeing. Really, Geralt is a lot older in uh, yeah. in his depictions than uh, Henry Cavill is. So they put him in like white hair and gave him yellow eyes, but they didn't age him up at all. Well, he's still so beefy. But I, I think all that beefy. I I think that in that case they were trying to go more towards the books as well as. So that's actually The Witcher is a great example where they hopped timelines and they did it such a way so you couldn't tell that they were hopping timelines. <laughs> And and I think that's why, in that case, the fact that they went, the directors and producers went with slightly altering the appearance and getting an actor that doesn't necessarily fit what the games have or what the book quite describes works really well because they end up getting someone that is a little more in the middle ground of that timeline. So they don't have to, one, they don't have to change him. But two, they keep that level of mystery of what in the world is going on. 
<laughs> but, but they definitely in that first season of The Witcher hold on to until that last episode. <laughs> yeah. Um and it was a good it was a good series overall. I would say like we're we're all talking about the problems with, you know, book to TV. I would say one of the biggest problems is if you don't do your own thing, then you're probably going to disappoint a fair amount of people. And it's so rare that you will see like an adaptation book to movie or um book to TV show, either one be like supremely satisfying to everybody. But like when you do your own thing I and if you do Sh- it well Sherlock was like that. That's I, what I, I was don't thinking. Know anybody who doesn't like Sherlock. Mm-hmm. We need it doesn't necessarily go too far off script. We do need to like, specify we're all talking uh, about the Benedict Cumberbatch Sherlock, right? Not I, Element. That's a much better description than I was going to say the hot <laughs> Sherlock. <laughs> Benedict Cumberbatch is a better descriptor. Honestly, like, dear listeners, if I were to say, I'm talking about the hot Sherlock. We all know what I'm talking about. Yeah. We all know Bounty the true Sherlock. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think one of the things you can talk about is so uh, Benedict Cumberbatch Sherlock put it in modern day they um Mm -hmm. utilized very modern cinema cinematography cinematics yeah (laughs) (laughs) to to represent his cinnamon sticks sticks (laughs) (laughs) to represent you know what's going on in his brain and they did such a good job of bringing those stories to the modern times and doing it in hour and a half episodes perfect yeah and (laughs) putting enough out at the same time Mm -hmm. that when it's two years before the next one comes out i'm still interested Mm -hmm. well and and i think it's i love to compare that sherlock to elemental right where they Mm -hmm. uh, made watson a woman which which i have a lot of issues with he didn't need to be a woman like but i i can't watch elemental i try and i just it's too different from the original i if it was more along the lines of inspired by sherlock okay yeah a lot of stuff i think a lot of modern mysteries any any time when you have a very eccentric detective or you know it just someone who's working with the detectives that's just a little odd kind of like monk i think there's hints of sherlock in that but elemental did not do a good job cumberbatch did (laughs) yeah and one of the key things oh sorry nope nope go go one of the key things that made sherlock holmes so engaging to read was the fact that there was like this connection between these two guys at the heart of it all. And it wasn't even necessarily like a best friend connection as much as it was like a, you're just this really, really interesting person that I know. And (laughs) I have to like record your deeds so that people know like how interesting you are. Uh, And there was times like when Sherlock, actually, this is in darn near every story. Sherlock will do something or piece something together. And Holmes will have just no idea of mm-hmm. what's going on. 
and the times that he does like go on his own mysteries or like um offer speculation on what's going on like 9.5 times out of 10 sherlock will say oh my dear watson you're so stupid <laughs> and that was like what really made it fun because it wasn't it wasn't like you were going through with sherlock and seeing all of this cool stuff as much as it was like you're just in the area and then every every story felt like this cool incident happened in which sherlock did something but you usually didn't see it all that close until just about the end where sherlock is explaining everything Mm -hmm. which i suppose is one of the challenges with putting it into cinema is that people want to be closer to the action people want to know everything that's going on and if you have like that bumbling sort of watson on screen it's going to be kind of irritating Mm -hmm. as opposed to when it's in the books it really feels like watson is like he's still more competent than a normal person but sherlock is just so far far above in a way that you know, it's still engaging. You still still wonder, like, how the heck did you piece that together? Oh, you looked at cigar ash? Oh, you looked at dirt? You know? <laughs> it's like... <laughs> so that was a lot of the... I imagine the problem with making a Sherlock Holmes adaptation. I would say you almost have to put it in the modern day. You almost have to, like, uh, 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 have something else going on besides just what's in the books, because otherwise I think they'd be very hard to adapt in a super engaging way. Maybe that's a hot take, (laughs) because I actually haven't seen any of the shows. Rob. The hottest take coming from zero evidence. (laughs) Rob. You know what I'm known for. (laughs) What's the this isn't the book to movies episode rob it's the book to tv show (laughs) even if the tv show happens to be an hour and a half long each episode i mean really what if i saw the movies on tv how about that (laughs) no No. okay side side moments um it is based on a book to it's a book to film that I think everyone who had, uh, not commercials, was cable. Cable? Yep, cable. Cable Cable growing up. (laughs) I think everyone watched the second Jurassic Park movie, which I believe is also, uh, Michael Creighton wrote the first book, and I think he actually wrote uh, his second book, I think does follow or that movie does follow the second book but uh there are some movies that are almost better consumed as a tv show because then you can't notice or it's not that the uh, plot holes are less memorable (laughs) because you have commercial breaks (laughs) you kind of forget about drag on yes go Really, this could have been done with like 30 minutes less. But if I have to get up, I don't know, I'm thinking like 15, 20 years ago, I have to get up and stretch my legs because I can't pause it. We don't have TiVo or something. I don't even know if TiVo is still around. <laughs> but 
have to go sprint. I am happy for the break to go sprint and grab a snack. That is a really interesting, like, difference in the last 20 years. Like, mm-hmm. how mediums need to convey those stories. I, right? I, like, things like Game of Thrones and Orange is the New Black need to be able to be consumed in a binge-worthy format. Because mm-hmm. that's how they're being produced. No. Yeah. How much more room to breathe could these of shows or Handmaid's Tale been able to have and not be like hard hitting dramas if it was done 20 years ago where it's on cable and they do have to have commercial breaks every mm-hmm. 15 minutes. Well, and you also have too some of these because um, now that I'm like thinking of the list that I have other than Longmire. Oh, no, the magicians, I think, too, came out on TV, I believe. Um, most of these have been have been pretty new or even when they came out you know they came out as an HBO series back in 2000 mm-hmm. where they didn't have ads and I think maybe that also contributes to why a lot of the TV shows that are on cable maybe aren't based on books because it could be that having those breaks a book doesn't have those breaks right and so yeah trying to consume that in a new medium and building those breaks in you would have to really change that plot at least a little bit in sections and chunks right so that you could smoothly have commercials because how you handle a commercial right you have cliffhanger handling you have the end of a scene um but you do have to handle that in a certain way because your audience will not be consuming that medium media for you know two or three minutes at a time which you can forget a lot (laughs) of what's actively happening yeah and with cable you know once upon a time it was a big deal to see like a 45 minute or an hour long episode of a show Mm -hmm. that was still going to have commercials and all it was just a little bit longer, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, that was that was like, oh, something special is happening. Something big is happening. Whereas now it's really kind of become a lot more like the standard. It's it's a lot more infrequent these days that I see that classic 30 minute episode. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you factor in for the commercials, you know, 30 minutes was the runtime. That was the time that the television company dedicated for that program. But you like look at the actual runtime of the show, it'd be like 22, 23 mm-hmm. minutes, you yeah. know, but now we always get an hour. Now we always get the opportunity for more than an hour. I mean, even if you look at like Game of Thrones, each mm-hmm. episode is not flatly an hour. Sometimes they're 49 minutes. Sometimes they're an hour and 10 minutes, mm-hmm. you know. Let me see the flip like side of that. Out. With Love, Death and Robots, it's like some of them are... 22 minutes some of them are 12 minutes Mm -hmm. and so they can they can be the length that they need to be to convey that material Mm -hmm. yeah well and without the slicing and dicing to fit into a traditional time slot well and we've gotten away from having i think uh when we were growing up a season for a tv show was usually what would you say 26 episodes maybe 30 episodes right um, yeah, something like that. Yeah. Now, especially with Netflix and HBO and Stars and Amazon Prime, 
they can take like five or six episodes yeah yeah they can take as little time as they need or they can take as much time as they need um and and one of the things i've noticed like with um lucifer when it's trans because i believe lucifer started out as a tv show on cable and then transitioned to hulu and then netflix is as it transitioned out and you can see this in other series that have done that as well longmire i believe did this um, a couple others when they transition out one you lose that kind of fluff that they built into the tv series to account for that but two they tend to become significantly fewer episodes per season which makes sense right when you're no longer constricted in that that method and is probably why so many and i mean so many of the books turned tv series are actually hbo netflix amazon bbc too bbc does a lot of them and bbc does their mini series Mm -hmm. little claps for the bbc over here oh yeah oh yeah it's but yeah, it books to to TV. There's a lot of benefits to it. You get a lot more freedom than a movie. I think too uh, with books to TV series, especially if each timeline or if they are doing multiple books and each book has a different kind of feel to it, they can then have a different type of cinematography for that episode which yeah you know um yeah i i personally generally wish that more books went to tv rather than film but big budget film gives you pattern that we're seeing now right (laughs) at least that i'm seeing like these popular books like normal people are getting picked up pretty quickly and turned into tv shows Mm -hmm. yeah and it, it feels like and ever like circling thing trying to chase its own tail because then the author goes like, ooh, I could make more money and continue mm-hmm. the series. And they try to continue it and the series gets re-picked up on the TV show. And so like they try and pick it up. And so I think that's when you end up in those situations where like the plot of the TV show doesn't necessarily match the plot of the um, book series because they're both trying to like profit off of like the book that did well and got picked up i think yeah and that's kind of what you're what the the whole market has changed i think yeah just due to the nature of how we consume tv now like we still call it tv right but it's really it's like streaming services Mm -hmm. that most people will engage with this stuff on and because netflix thank god for netflix like whatever you say about them now when they came in they changed the whole industry by having one everything was available all at once and no commercials mm-hmm. you know when they did that people realized like okay we don't need to rely on advertisers for our money we can just put out like a heck ton of really good content and people will give us their money like hand over fist yeah but what that means is yes. that you got to produce a lot more shows and you have to produce them more quickly. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the reasons why we're seeing so many books get adapted, not just because of 
the advantages that medium provides but also because there is a legitimate market demand like mm-hmm. these people they need material to turn into shows and it's a lot easier to just say hey here's a hundred thousand dollars we're gonna take your book and turn it into a tv show instead of you know spending a year to write something that may not even be good and then exactly you know. mm-hmm. like we already know little fires everywhere is super popular with middle-aged moms let's make sure we hit that demographic <laughs> head over fist or mm-hmm. whatever the phrase is like by giving them a tv show perhaps something for them to look forward to and yeah it's just a really interesting give and take in the market right now when it comes to these like really popular books if you look over like 20 probably 18 to 2021 of popular books and how many of those have gotten picked up Mm -hmm. for tv shows well i think that's maybe a good spot to see do you guys have any other ending closing comments watch hot sherlock holmes that's all you need to do it's so good it'll make your life a lot better Read the Witcher books. That's what I'll say. <laughs> I want more... I I want to see more long series turn into TV series. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe partially that's because the long series tend to either be the murder mystery series or they uh, are more urban fantasy-esque. And what, Sam wants more urban fantasy? What? No. Never. <laughs> and murder mysteries. Murder mysteries are uh, are pretty solid to, you know, easily consume. We need a Babysitter's Club TV show. There was. There is Somebody one. There off. is one. There 100% what? is one. Yeah. Oh, you girls. <laughs> <laughs> Just thinking that's that's a series that has a lot of books in it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, and it's uh, it's out there. Mm-hmm. I'm not actually going to watch it. I was just you know, I was trying to give somebody an idea. But <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that's about all I've got to say. <laughs> well, thank you guys for listening. We hope you join us again in two weeks when we discuss dystopian literature. So we've we've hit adjacently on some dystopian conversations, but want to deep dive into that a little bit more because there's some creepy stuff in dystopian literature, and I'm excited to deep dive into that. Um, but until then, like, subscribe, and send us any comments on Instagram at Athenium Podcast, or let us know via email athenium_podcastlit at gmail.com. Thanks, y'all. Bye. Bye.